welcome back. I'm Brian Metzger and this is Inscription. Whether you feel far from God and you want to change that or you already have a relationship with God and you just want to go deeper, this is the place for you. Today we're preparing the readings for the second Sunday of Lent. So this is an, an incredible opportunity in this season Lent. We're going to open that up. We're going to take a look at it in the readings. But before we do that, we're going to take a look at the Hebraic calendar. And just a reminder that the, the Hebraic calendar is the calendar of the Bible. It gives us an, a bigger context for looking at the readings in the scriptures. And also, I find it very powerful when we take a look at what is Israel reading, and by this I mean biblical Israel, spiritual Israel, what is Israel reading at this time, side by side with what the church is reading at this time. And there's, I find there's a growing, there's a powerful complementarity between what is Israel reading? What are they talking about? What are they praying about? What are they accessing? And what is the church, what are we reading? What are we talking about? What dimensions of the Father's heart are we accessing? And when we put them together, it's a very powerful combination. So first of all, in, in Israel this weekend, it's the great feast of, of Purim. And Purim is the high feast of, it's in, in fact, um, Yom Kippur is considered the holiest of all feasts, but Purim is considered the, the most joyful of all feasts. And that's fitting because it comes to us in the month of Adar. And we talked about, you know, we're coming up on, you know, Purim lands on the full moon of Adar. Of Adar. And so all the Hebraic months there, they're, they're lunar months, which months originally were lunar. That's where the word month comes from the word moon. And so if a lunar schedule, you know, the, from the new moon to the full moon is 14 days. And then to come back to the next new moon is 28 days. So a, so a lunar month is 28 days. So we're right at that midpoint, right at that middle point where you get that full moon of the month of Adar, and it's the Feast of, of Purim. And again, the, the, the most joyful feast of, of, all, of all the Jewish calendar. You know, Yom Kippur, the highest and the holiest, but, but Purim, the most joyful. And so, and they would say something like this, that Yom Kippur is still celebrated on a very spiritual, very heavenly realm, whereas Purim is, is celebrated here on the earth. And so they have, they have sweet desserts that they eat and they drink wine and they have a festival time and they actually get very silly as well. They'll, they'll, it's it's the, the, the nullification of the ego. They'll, they'll dress up like clowns and they'll, and they'll be fun and they'll be joyful and, and, and ridiculous. So anyway, but one of the reasons that that's appropriate in the month of Adar, because the month of Adar, it, Adar is the Hebrew word for strength. So this is a month for strength. We talked about how it's the culmination of the 12 months. So we're getting ready for the, the first um, the first month, which is which is Nisan, and that's the month that they celebrate the the Passover. And we, as 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 the body of Christ, we're very excited about that because we're in our Lent right now, preparing to celebrate Passover. But the month, the the feast of Purim in the month of Adar is always one month before the feast of Passover. So these this this first feast, I mean the the last feast of Purim and the first feast of Passover, they're, they're always one month apart. So that that's kind of it, uh, gives us a little bit of a perspective. Um, but in this, in the, in the month of Adar, which means strength, the spiritual sense that they work on 
And remember, for each month, for all 12 months, they have 12 spiritual senses that they work on. The spiritual sense that we're working on in the, the, the month of Adar is laughter. And when I say we're working on it, what does that mean? It's we recognize that God is making available to us graces to purify our laughter, to do away with negative laughter, to restrict all negative laughter, and to embrace all spiritual or heavenly laughter. And one of the great passages in the scriptures where you see the power of laughter is Psalm 127. I'm sorry, Psalm 126. Psalm 126 where it says, when the, when, the, when the fortunes of Zion were restored, we were like men dreaming. Our mouths are filled with laughter. We talked about last week about how that's part of the Psalms of Ascent. So as you ascend to Jerusalem, these are the Psalms that you're saying. But as you say these Psalms, as you make these spiritual de- declarations, um, you're accessing the, the gift of dreaming, the gift of laughter, the gift of ascending to uh, ascending to Jerusalem, you know, that, that place of of deep and intimate communion with God. So in the month of Adar, the spiritual sense is laughter. Laughter is an expression of joy, and it's it's the fullest expression of joy. So there's there's even places in the Bible where it talks about God's laughter. And so the um so now one of the ways that we can see that come together, how what's the relationship between Adar, which means strength, and laughter? Well, it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So you can say that laughter with God is my strength. The joy of the Lord is, is my strength. All right, what else is happening in the month of Adar? The tribe is the tribe of Nephtali. And the Nephtali was one of the northernmost tribes. Nephtali was the younger brother of Dan. And he was known for being a fierce warrior, a fast runner, a great dancer, and an incredible poet. You know, so these are all dimensions of the, of the character and the characteristic of the tribe of Nephtali. Um, so, so what else is happening in Adar? Okay, let's talk about Purim. So this is that, that feast. And they say that the whole month, even though Purim is celebrated around the full moon of the month of Adar, the whole month is filled with the joy of a Purim. And so this is a very joyful month for them. And why is it? This is the story of Queen Esther. And that, that there was, um, in, in the Persian Empire, which was filled with where, where a, a huge portion of the Jewish people were gathered, were living in Persia at the time, the, an evil, there was a king, um, Ahasuerus, and he had an, he had a, his, his right hand man was Haman, and Haman had evil intention toward Israel. He wanted to see Israel destroyed. And so if you think about it, he would have been similar to the Hitler of that time. He had this plan to destroy all the Jews. And he cast lots, which means like he, he, he rolled the dice to figure out what day he was going to get permission to have all the Jews on the same day destroyed. And so, so Haman had this evil intent to destroy all of Israel. Now there was a there was a Zadok at the time, would mean a righteous man. His name was Mordecai. And Mordecai, his younger cousin Esther, was actually in the King Ahasuerus's harem. So Esther, uh, which uh, she she was um, she was seventy. <laughs> this is going to sound strange. So she was this beautiful woman. She was seventy years old. But God had, God had put favor on her and put beauty on her. So when Ahasuerus saw her, it's like, there's no one as beautiful as Esther. And so Mordecai and Esther are able to 
pull God's people together to pray and fast together, just like the body of Christ is fasting for the Feast of Lent right now, they pull, they, they, they unite all of God's people. And this is one of the things that Israel suffers from is division amongst the people. And this, this so let's talk a little bit about that division because to, to understand the deepest joy of Purim, it's necessary to understand, the, poke the pain here of it goes back to the division. Well, how did the story of division begin? In Adam, they saw the soul of every Jewish person was in Adam. When Adam fell, the the vessel of Adam then was ruptured and all the souls got dispersed. And so they suffered from this division. At Mount Sinai, which is, you know, right after Israel's rescued from Egypt and they cross the Red Sea and then they, they show up on Sinai where they receive the covenant, they hear the Ten Commandments, Israel, it's, it's the last time that all of Israel was, was reunited, or maybe you could say it the next time. So, so from, the time of, from the time of Adam to the time of Sinai, Israel suffered tremendous division. But at the mountain, when they received the Ten Commandments, all Israel was, there, there was they, were one, they were of one heart and of one mind. So they were unified. And they received, when they received the, the commandments of the Lord, they actually received an impartation of the Torah. The Torah was written on their hearts. Now, eventually, they lost this. This, the, the, the command, the, yeah, the tablets of the law got broken and this, this mystically infused Torah was lost. But there was a period of time where, where they, where all of Israel was was one again with this gift of the Torah, with this covenant with God, and so it was at Sinai a marriage between Israel and God, and Israel and one another. So they became one again. So this is a this is an incredibly important image for us to understand as followers of Jesus, because Jesus, before his crucifixion in John 17, he prays that we would be one, even as he and the Father are one. So this oneness is is near and dear to the heart of the Father. It's near and dear to the heart of Christ, and it ought to be near and dear to the heart of every believer, um, that they may be one, even as the Father and the Son are one. The oneness that Israel experienced at Mount Sinai when it received the gift of the commandments and the Torah was infused into Israel's spirit. And once again, sadly, that was lost. The, the, the tablets were broken and then the memory of Torah left and, and they, they, they wept for the loss of the memory of Torah. All right, so now, so what happens at Purim is Mordecai, this, this great righteous man, you know, the, the, the cousin of Esther, he's out and amongst the people and he starts... He's a peacemaker, and he starts breaking down divisions. And what does Jesus say about the peacemaker and the beatitudes? He says, "Blessed, uh, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers." Um, let's see what what exactly is the blessing of the peacemakers. I, the Holy Spirit led us there, so let's make sure we get that right. So that's going to be the Gospel of Matthew. Let's see here, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's start with chapter five. Um, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Okay, isn't, isn't, isn't that wonderful there? So, 
So now, blessed are the peacemakers for their... So Mordecai was a peacemaker. And so he helped to reconcile people in their, the differences of thinking. and the, He helped their, their, their minds to fire and wire together and their hearts to wire, fire and wire together so that all Israel became one in fasting for Queen Esther to be able to approach the king to undo the, the plan of the evil Haman. And not only was, was the Lord successful in working through Mordecai and Esther's plan, to undo the, 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 the evil intention of Haman. But after that, Israel brought, got brought into a time of great favor and great empowerment. And so they call this, they, they said that the, the joy, they had, Israel had not experienced that much joy or that much oneness. Notice the relationship between oneness and joy. Oneness is a cause of great joy, just like when bride and bridegroom come together, there's a great joyfulness. They had not experienced that much joy since the gift of the Torah. And they said it's a new marriage with God and marriage with one another. So this is their Feast of Purim. So we, we wish all, all, of our, all of our fathers and mothers in Israel, all of our Jewish brothers and sisters, we just wish them the greatest Feast of Purim, have a, have a wonderful Feast of Purim. But we also want to access that spiritual energy. The joy of the Lord is also our strength. And we want to advance by laughter. We want to ascend, ascend the ladder of the Lord. Now, one last thing I'm going to say about the um, about the oh, oh, about the month of Adar is this week they're reading the parashat. Remember last week they came down. For, we're in Exodus. No, no, yep, Exodus chapter 27 um, goes on through to chapter uh, chapter 30. And we mentioned last week they were it was the it was the chapters and verses that discussed the building of the tabernacle um, and the Hebrew word for it was the Mishkan the building of the Mishkan and we talked about how you know raise uh, raise a sanctuary and I will dwell with them and so that them is plural so it's not just raise a sanctuary and I will dwell in the sanctuary it's raise a sanctuary and I will dwell in the hearts of all the people so this is something that speaks directly to us as well St. Paul says you know do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit well after the erecting of the of the tabernacle the next chapter from chapter 27 of Exodus up on to chapter 30 it talks about the inner courtroom so you might remember that in the tabernacle that there were three chambers an outer court an inner court and the holy of holies the centermost court and so the the parashat or the portion of Torah that they're reading this week is talking about that inner court and in that inner court this is where the high priest goes and there's a candle that needs to remain burning continually and I love the theme, this, this candle, this flame is called the Ashtamid, the perpetually burning flame. And that's near and dear to my heart as a Catholic, because when you go into our churches, when the Blessed Sacrament is reserved in the tabernacle, again, that same word tabernacle, there's always a candle that's, be, that's burning beside it. And it reminds me of Leviticus, where it says, the fire, the, the fire on the altar must never go out. So there's this perpetual fire, the Ash, in Hebrew, it's Ashtamid, that's continuous continually burning, that marks the presence of the Lord, reminds us of the presence of the Lord, is an opportunity for us to connect with the presence of the Lord. And so in that inner in that inner courtroom, you have this candle that burns night and day. You also have an altar of incense where the priests will come in and offer incense. You also have an altar of showbread. And one of the things that's quite beautiful about this showbread is this showbread is the, it's, it's the, bread, of his, the bread of his presence, but the literal translation of 
presence in Hebrew is face. It's the bread of his face. How powerful is that to us who have a devotion to the, to the Eucharist that when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, that we're seeing the, the, the bread of his presence, the bread literally translated the bread of his face. Also, there was, there was wine on that table. So this inner courtroom is a place of great intimacy with God. Now, there's a way of meditation in that inner courtroom that, that Israel teaches, which is connected to the yod He vav He. And this would be, remember, the, the endless light of the Creator, when He wants to bring it into the world, He brings it in through His letters. And all the Hebrew letters are vessels for the endless light of the Creator. And, and God played with the letters for a thousand years before He started to speak out words and create the cosmos, create something out of nothing, create, create order out of chaos, create beauty out of ugliness. Um, so as now, the greatest of all the, the arrangements of the letters is the name of the Lord himself, the great I am, yod Hey vav Hey, And that yod Hey vav Hey, they, they arrange it like a ladder that climbs up. And so at the highest one, the highest letter is the Yud. And that's actually the smallest of letters. That's the infinite spark. And so that represents the highest realm that the perhaps we could call it the, 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 the crown of the king, the brightness of the crown of the king. And that light then comes down and it expands into the second letter, which is He. And then the next letter is Vav. And I want to talk about the Vav for a moment. The Vav is the sixth letter of the alphabet and it stands for the upright man but it's a narrow letter. If you see the letter, it might look like one of our letter, the letter I's, it just stands up like that. So it's a narrow letter because that the greatness of that endless light has to be focused and comes in through man. Man, the upright man, the upright woman, plays a role in funneling the endless light of the Creator into the world. And then you get to the final letter, the hey. But as they meditate, they would actually envision the light from the yud passing down through the hay, through the vav, through the hay, and then landing right here on the crown of our heads, and then passing through our whole body, that they would be filled with the light of yod hay vav hay. And isn't that a beautiful way? Now, when we get to our gospel today, it's the gospel of the transfiguration, and we can see that light of yod hay vav hay penetrating Christ's head into his body, down to his feet, even his clothing looks like lightning. But before we get to go up to Mount Tabor, first we're going to go up Mount Moriah with our first readings of the book of Genesis. So open your Bibles with me, open your Bible apps. We're now going to dive into the readings for the day. It's Genesis 22, and this is Abraham taking his son Isaac up the mountain of the Lord. First line, God put Abraham to the test. Now when I hear that, I think, oh boy, uh, God, are you going to put me to the test? <laughs> well, the Hebrew word for test has another meaning to it, which means adventure. So this is, so yes, the answer is yes, God is going to put you to the test. But you can see the test as a punishment, or you can see the test as an invitation to participate in an, an amazing adventure with God. And this adventure is going to have the highest highs and the lowest lows. But we know the secret of the ladder, angels ascending and descending on the ladder. The more we descend, the more we ascend. So this is joined together. And so what does God do? God puts Abraham to the test. God brings Abraham on an adventure. And God wants to bring you on an adventure. In this Lent, God is taking us on an adventure. God wants to take you on an adventure. Your fast is your yes to, I say yes to the grace of fasting so that Jesus, you can take me on this adventure, this great adventure. God put Abraham to the test. 
He called to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, then God said, take your son Isaac, your only one, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a holocaust on a height that I will point out to you. Now, Isaac means laughter. So here we are in the month of Adar, where we're focusing on the spiritual gift of laughter. And, you know, when, when God told Abraham at, at 100 years old that he was going to have a son, Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, and God said, why did you laugh? And then God said, you know, you're going to name this son Isaac. You're going to name this son laughter. So take your son laughter. So this also represents the joy of his life. Your only one, the one whom you loved. Remember last week we were talking about God, the Father's words over Jesus with, you are my beloved son. You are my only one. You are my joy. You are my laughter. And what does God do? He offers up his son for us. He's bringing Abraham in this horrific experience, this horrific offering. He's actually bringing Abraham very deep into the Father's divine, into the Father's divine strategies for all of our salvation by offering up the Father's son. So, um, and there you will offer him up. So take your only son, the one whom you love, your beloved one, to the land of Moriah. It's also fascinating that Mount Calvary is among the mountains in that mountain range of Moriah. You shall offer him up as a holocaust. So in Hebrew, that word holocaust is, is ola. And it's the, it's the same, it's the same word for, for Allah, which, uh, the, which means the most high. And the, or this, this high place, to go up to this high place. But the word holocaust is a burnt offering. And so the flame that would burn on the, offering, on the altar was, that was burning up the offering was, was intended to burn the offering till it became nothing, till it completely ascended to God. And so in the word for holocaust, the Hebrew word um, ola, O-L-A-H, in that word, it could also be staircase. So this is that ladder. This is that staircase of ascent. You're to offer him up as, as a holocaust, as a ladder on a height that I will point out to you. So next, next paragraph. When they came to the place that God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. Then he reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the Lord's messenger, the angel of the Lord, called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Do not lay your hand on the boy, said the messenger. Do not do the least thing to him. I now know how devoted you are to God, since you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. So there's that language again. Your beloved son. This is my beloved son. Um, you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. As Abraham looked about, he spied a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So, so he went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a holocaust. There's that word, as that staircase, as that ladder into the heavenly realm. He offered the ram up as a holocaust in the place of his son. Now, one of the verses that gets omitted here, we only get a few verses because the church wants us to focus on particular parts of the mystery. But one of the verses that does get omitted here is, is worthwhile mentioning it at least, is it says that um, Isaac asks, well, where's the ram to be offered? You know, Father, we're going up this mountain in a sacrifice, but where's the ram that you're going to offer? And Abraham says to him, can't bear to tell him that he's the, 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 the sacrifice that's going to be offered. But he says to him, the Lord will provide. And so, and, and, and check it out. If you look closely at the Hebrew, it says, the Lord will provide himself a ram. And so it has that, you could get that meaning out of it. The Lord will provide 
himself, like I will be the ram himself. So Jesus himself comes to be the lamb of God, but he's a male lamb. So he's the ram that's offered up for our salvation to be a holocaust, a, a, an, an offering that's completely consumed. And so that's what a holocaust, completely consumed by fire. And so at the cross, of course, you, you need spiritual eyes to see the fire, but truly the cross is the tree of life and it is the burning bush and it is a place where the, offer, the offering is a completely consumed offering. Even Jesus himself, as he's at one of his last words, is it is it is consummated. It is you know I am completely consumed. So, um, all right. So Abraham takes him and spies the ram. Oh, the on, on this day that they saw Abraham the, the 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 ram in the thicket. So the thicket is also an image of the cross here. So that's quite powerful. But likewise, when when yeah. The, the date that they say that, the, that Abraham found this ram caught in the thicket was March 21st. And that, was, that would be the first day of spring. Israel remembers that that was the day that God said, let there be light in the very beginning. So that let there be light in the book of Genesis, that first of the 10 uh, sayings of God that created the heavens and the earth, that first of the 10, let there be light, happened on the first day of spring, March 21st. Likewise, that's the day that Abraham finds the ram caught in the thicket. Likewise, that winds up being the same day that Jesus is hung on the cross and dies for us on Passover. So, so we to understand the mystery, the a, a deeper dimension of Christ's offering on the cross, we go back to to the God providing the ram and the thicket for Abraham on Mount Moriah, and we go all the way back to the first of the ten, let there be light. So this is the this is the deeper ministry. And that light is that that descending light, that 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 light that comes down from, from the yod to the hay to the vav to the hay and lands right on the crown of our heads and then goes through our whole bodies down to our toes and then we offer it back to him in the in the returning light. So so now, move to the final paragraph of our first reading. Again, the Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven and said, I swear by myself, decrees the Lord, that because you acted thus and not withholding from me your beloved son, so there's the beloved son mentioned again, I will bless you abundantly. Um, I will make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and as the sands of the seashore. And so I'm certain that while Jesus is walking in the sands of the desert this Lent, he's remembering this statement about the, the, the countless grains of sand, the countless numbers of descendants. So the, uh, I also want to point out that this year, I will bless you abundantly. So this is oftentimes we go back to the, when, when God said to Abraham, I will be a shield that goes before you and I will make your reward exceedingly great. And so this, this exceedingly great, this abundantly here, it actually literally translates as multiplying, I will multiply you. So this is the multiplication to multiplication. This is the level of the exponential. And so that's one of the things that God's doing in the earth on 2021. He put this on my heart at the beginning of 2021. Is he goes, I'm going to bring you from growth by addition. We're going to make a shift to growth by multiplication. But that's actually just the beginning. I'm going to bring you into the realm of exponential growth. And that's here. You actually literally see it in the Hebrew. It says, multiplying, I will multiply you. So it's like the holy of holies and like the song of songs. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Um, And your descendants and all your nations, all, all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. All because you obeyed my command. All right, so wonderful. Now we move to our second reading, which is Psalms 116. 
And the, you get this verse from 1 Psalm 16, which is, uh, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And this, this is David writing into the Psalms a message that the Lord gave to Abraham when the Lord said, um, walk, uh, walk before me always and be perfect. What, so this is Genesis 17. Go and check it out. Walk before me always and be perfect. So it means keep the Lord before you at all times. This is linked to that ashtamid. To, and St. Paul would speak about it. Prayer without ceasing. That continuous consciousness of God's presence with us. So walk before me always. Walk with me face to face. Walk with me before your eyes. Walk with me before you. Walk with your, with your spiritual eyes open. And when you do that, when you walk before me always, you will, that, that's where your perfection comes from. Behold me and you will you access the perfection. So now let's, um, let's move right on to our Romans 8. So the, the third reading, we hung, out with, 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 uh, we, we hung out with Abraham on Mount Moriah, Abraham and Isaac, and the, and the ram caught in the thicket. And we hung out with the great King David in Psalm 116. And we covered that one quite quickly today, but there's lots of good stuff. We want to get to Mount Tabor with Jesus' transfiguration light. But before we get there, we want to stop at Romans 8. So open your Bibles, open your Bible apps with me to Romans 8, verse 31. And in Romans 8, this is so powerful, like to take the time to open the scriptures up, just to the privilege of your eyes being able to see the word of God, of being able to stand before the word of God, of being able to practice what does it feel like to be face to face with God? What does it feel like to open my spiritual eyes, to know that I too can walk with the Lord before me always and be perfect, just like Abraham did, just like David did, just like Moses did. And so here we go, Romans 8, verse 31. Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all. Now, pause right there. So this, notice the way that this ties in with Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac because the Lord asked. And because Abraham was willing, what God was doing is bringing Abraham into the deep realms of his heart to see that place where the father already knew that he was going to offer his beloved son. But this is where he's doing it right now. And so Abraham gained access to that place in the father's heart. In this Lenten desert, you and I are gaining access to that place in the father's heart. And you could say it even this way. We have, we have an ancient memory of that in the depths of our spirit, in the depths of our souls. And God's, by reading these readings, he's waking up that ancient memory. It's coming to the surface. Can you remember? This is, <laughs> the, if God is for us, who can be against us? So this is, what a powerful idea. God is for us, who can be against us? No more can I look at life and say, life is happening to me. I have to look at life and say, life is happening for me because, because my God is, is a big God. I don't tell God how big my problems are. I tell my problems how big my God is because if God's for me, who can be against me? Even if people are against me, God's for me. He's gonna write straight with crooked lines and he's gonna turn every problem into an acceleration program. So if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us, how will he not give us everything else along with him? So check this out. In Jesus, St. Paul describes it this way, we are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
is there is there a greater abundance than that is there a, is there a greater expression expression of the lavishness of the father's love than giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavens with Christ Jesus so when he gives us his son Jesus he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavens but but not just that he says he says in, in, in here with if we read that side by side with Romans 8 he says if he's given us his son how will he not give us everything else along with him so not just every spiritual blessing in the heavens but it's all yours it's all yours. This is that exceedingly great reward. Multiplying, I will multiply you. How he who has given, who did not spare his beloved son, the, his own, like Jesus is the father's Isaac. Jesus is the father's laughter. Jesus is his only son. Jesus is his beloved son. And he offered him, he proved the depths of his love. He proved that, that there's nothing that he wasn't willing to do to have us in our lives. The father is loves for you. There's nothing that he won't do to have you in his life. And he proved it when he gave his son. And if he's going to give you his joy, if he's going to give you his laughter, if he's going to give you his only son, if he's going to give you his beloved one, what, what, what else? How will he not give you everything else as well with him? Wow, this is who our God is. And this is what our God is like. So, and then continuing on with Romans 8, uh, verse 31 to 34. Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? Now, this expression of God's chosen ones, if you, so this is written in Greek originally, but if you look at the concept of the chosen one and go back to the Hebrew for it, it's the word segula. And so while it means you'll be to me a sacred possession, you will be my precious one, you will be, to, you'll be my treasure, you're my dear one. This is, this is language that a husband might say for, for, his, for his beloved um, to, to bring his bride in. It's, it's language that, that parents might say for their children. You know, you, you are mine. You are my, my segala. You are my chosen ones. I choose you. I love you. You're precious to me. Come right here. While it does include that, those connotations, it also means catalyst. So you will be to me a segala. You will be my chosen one. You will be a catalyst to set a fire because God is an eternal fire. And Jesus came to set fire on the earth. Being his chosen ones isn't about being exclusive. It's not about an exclusivity that this is for you and for no other. This is a fire for you to set every other on fire. So who 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 will bring a charge against God's chosen ones, against God's fire starters, against God's catalysts? It is it is God who it is God who acquits us and who condemns us. Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus it is who died, or rather was raised. Now this is critical here. There's something in the in the prophetic that um, in Israel's prophetic culture, which is called language of branches. And if you want to understand the oral tradition around the Torah, you have to learn about the language of branches. And the language of branches is the most powerful symbolic language. With language of branches, everything, there's, there's both sides to it. You know, so, so the, 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 the greatest and the least go back and forth. With the language of branches, you also wonderful thing about the language of branches is, is you, rather than speaking about the essence of the spiritual matters that you're talking about, you talk about simple things in nature to, in order to, illustrate and elucidate that the things that are that are true in the higher spiritual realms 
Well, this is what Jesus did. And he's talking about the mustard seed and leaven in the dough. And he talks, to, he talks about fishing to fishermen. And he talks about vineyards to vine dressers. You know, this is, this is the way Jesus taught. He was using language of branches. But one of the dimensions of language of branches is everything equal and opposite is always true. So, for example, water. What does water mean? Well, in Noah's flood, water means destruction. But in the Red Sea, when the water parts and they pass through the water, water means resurrection. And by the way, resurrection is the language that the oral tradition of Israel uses. They call it, they said, Israel was resurrected when they were freed from Egypt, when they passed through, they were resurrected. Isn't that so powerful? Because when Jesus goes, remember the E equals MC square of salvation is Jesus' baptism where he goes beneath the water, comes up from the water. He goes beneath the water, he's destroyed in the crucifixion, comes up from the water, he's raised from the dead. It's, that's, his, that's his resurrection. And so notice the way Paul is dialed in to this prophetic ability to flip the worst into the best as he says, Christ who died for us, or rather was raised. So the story of his descent is the story of his ascension. The story of his going beneath the water is the story of his coming up from the water. The story of his, be, of, of his going on the cross uh, is, being, is his being born again. You get the idea. So Christ it is who died, or rather was raised. And this is what we need to develop for our own lives. Like we can see the cross in our life as God punishing us. It's not God punishing us. Problems are God's acceleration program. He's given us an opportunity to access new dimensions of how he wants to provide his abundance for us. So Christ Jesus who died for us, or rather was raised for us. So what's the story that you tell? The who also is at the right hand of the God and who, who at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So this beloved son uh, who the father gave to us, he's actually, he's, he, he's on our side. He's before the father and he's interceding. That's, he, he, that's him exercising his uh, governmental authority at the throne of God, which is the place where the, the, the heavenly resources are released. So he's, he's arguing on our behalf. Um, for, for more abundance. All right. Yay, God. Thank you, Jesus. We've come to the gospel. It's the gospel of Mark chapter 9. I'm so excited to talk with you about the, about the transfiguration. And this transfiguration is critical to understanding what, what God's doing in the, in the desert for 40 days. What is Jesus doing in the desert for 40 days? What is God doing in the desert for 40 days? This is part of what he's doing. So the, the gospel of Mark chapter 9, verse 2 to 10 Here we go. So open your Bibles, open your Bible apps. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. Okay, so first of all, I want to point to this this expression, led them up a high mountain. It also says, you could also translate, he brought them up a high mountain. But this high mountain, this is that that Ola, that concept of Ola, which is the, 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 the ladder or the staircase. He's bringing them to a higher spiritual realm. And while Jesus is in the desert, he is accessing a higher spiritual realm. And guess what? You are in Christ Jesus as he's in that desert. So one of the things that the Lord was showing me is you have a memory of the desert. What if we said yes to the grace of remembering being in Christ in those days in the desert? And then you would watch Holy Spirit direct your imagination to be able to access the places that he went in the desert. He was actually ascending the mountain of the Lord in in the desert. So Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. And one of the things I was looking at is 
the desert that Jesus is in, um, you know, he just crossed the Jordan. I was wondering, could Jesus have walked all the way to Mount Sinai? You know, it took Israel 40 years to cross it, but we know that they, they went, they were going in circles. Could Jesus, in his 40 days in the desert, have walked all the way to Mount Sinai? And remember, Moses spent 40 days on top of Mount Sinai in that, in that original marriage covenant between God and Israel. Moses was up on top of the mountain for 40 days. So definitely there's a link between Jesus' 40 days in the desert and Moses' 40 days on Mount Sinai. But could Jesus have actually walked to Mount Sinai? And so I just did a little research on it. I found out that um, Mount Sinai is 500, roughly 500 kilometers from, from Jerusalem or the Jordan River near Jerusalem. And so that if you walked 50 miles a day, or if you walked 50 kilometers a day, that you could be there in five days. So to me, that says, wow, he definitely could have walked all the way to Mount Sinai. And even if he didn't physically walk there when he did his 40 days in the, in the desert, there's, there's a spiritual way in which he accessed that what, was, what Moses was doing for 40 days on top of Mount Sinai in bringing about, and remember, this is the, the most, the, the, the saddest point in Israel's history is when, when all of Israel was separated from the fall. But then at Mount, at Mount Sinai, all of Israel's re, re, reunited. They become one heart and one mind with the gift of Torah. But then the covenant gets broken and they get separated again. And then the Feast of Purim, they have this, this, this new moment where they come all together again. But then over time, the separation and the, and the division comes back in. But Jesus is the new Adam that we all get gathered together in. And so he's out there in the desert and he's ascending the mountain of the Lord. And the church wants us to understand that by looking at the patterns in Jesus's life which is the transfiguration. We want to look at the desert through the lens of the transfiguration. So Peter took, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. So Jesus is doing that for us in this Lent, in this desert time. And then he was transfigured before him and his clothes became dazzling white. So remember we were talking about contemplating the endless light of the creator. And how do you do that? You direct your mind to the name of the Lord. So, you know, if you're more comfortable with the name of Jesus, in Hebrew, the name of Jesus is Yeshua, which means yod heh vav heh saves. And so, so either way, I think they're, they're both very valid ways for us to meditate. But that the, the, the highest light, the endless light of the Creator, descending to us through the name of the Lord, coming and filling us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, so is in such a way that it brings about a transformation, indeed a transfiguration, and as this hits Jesus, Jesus is so good at this, as you would expect, because he's, he's, he's a master at all things. He's so good at this that his entire body is transfigured. His face shines bright as the sun. It doesn't just go down to the bottoms of his feet. It, his very clothing becomes dazzling white. So, And when he was transfigured before them and his clothing became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. So this is like brighter than neon. 
when Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. So what's happening there is he is accessing the heavenly realms. And because they're in his proximity, proximity is power. He's giving them access to the, to the cloud of witnesses and to the army of angels. And faces start sticking out from the cloud. Oh, there's Moses. Oh, there's Elijah. And so this is what a prayer meeting with Jesus is like. What if this is what our prayer could be like? What if this is what Jesus wants to do for us? If it is, I say we say yes and amen to it. Bring me into that Mount Tabor experience. Bring me into that 40 days in the desert experience. Bring me into that 40 days on the top of Mount Sinai experience. Bring me into those higher realms, Jesus. I say yes and amen. I want to ascend. You are the ladder of the Lord. You are the tree of life. You are the holocaust. You are the fire that burns perpetually on the altar, always ready to raise us up into the Father's heart, into the Father's bosom, into the Father's arms. So as he's transfigured, now this word transfigured, check it out. It only appears in the Bible four times. And those four times, it happens twice in the Gospels. It's in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew. While Luke does tell the story of the transfiguration, it doesn't use the word transfiguration. So I thought that was interesting in my research. Um, But this word transfiguration shows up twice in the Gospels, telling the story of the transfiguration, both in Mark and in Matthew. But it shows up in in two other places in the writings of St. Paul. And one is Romans 12, and I was familiar with that one, and you may be as well. Romans 12 is, uh, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's that evidence of that Jewish practice of prayer where your mind, direct by your mind, focus on the higher things. And Paul tells us this explicitly, focus on the higher things. Focus on that, that light that the story it all began. Let there be light, and there was light. And that Focus your mind on that. Meditate. Let Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word for transform there is this same word transfigured. Let there be a metamorphosis. I'm talking about a radical supernatural tra- transformation. A, a, a full awakening of your spiritual consciousness. Of an ability to be able to perceive the presence of God right before you. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing more important than this. The greatest crisis in the church and in the world is a lack of familiarity with the presence of Christ. Because our spiritual senses have been dulled. We've, we, have, we have amnesia. We've, we've forgotten how to do it. But, all we, but he's going to do it for us. All we have to do is say yes and amen. I say yes to this grace. Open me up to be able to see, to take, bring me, put the death in the flesh and given life in the realm of the spirit from our readings from last week. Say, say yes, this is what he wants to do for us. But, um, but so, so transfiguration or transformation happens twice in the Gospels and and, and Mark and in Matthew. Also happens in Romans 12. But then there's another place. It happens in 2 Corinthians. And so let's just go to 2 Corinthians and learn something new about transfiguration. Um, <coughs> pardon me. All right, here we go. Second Corinthians. So excited to share this. It's going to be in chapter 3. And there it is. Wow, chapter 3. Let's start with verse 18. Wow, I'm so excited to share this. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And by the way, what's happening just before this is Paul is telling us about Moses, who when he looked upon the glory of the Lord, his face would become radiant. Moses' face would become transfigured. But then Moses would cover it with a veil because it was frightening to the people. And 
so, and then, but that glory of Moses was a fading glory. He says that this glory in Christ is an ever-growing glory. We go from glory to glory. But, so, but check this out. Let's start with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So what's the condition? Whenever anyone, so what's the, what's the time condition? It's whenever. <laughs> that means any time. Whenever, all right, what's the person condition? Whenever anyone. So who's this for? This is for everyone. So whenever anyone turns to the Lord. So this is that Genesis 17. Walk with me before you always and be perfect. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the glory of the Lord. So this is that, you know, what begins with, what begins with meditation is completed by contemplation. That's where we have transforming union with God. Meditation begins with our intention. We think about these things. We imagine these things. We focus on these things. We're taking human initiative. But even that human initiative is impossible without the grace of God leading it. But then at a certain point, the table gets tipped and meditation turns into contemplation an infused prayer. And so that's what's happening right here. We all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Wow. Brothers and sisters, spend some time this Lent and your Lenten fast and prayer praying with this scripture. Second, Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 to verse 18 it's the fourth use of that uh, the, it's the fourth time that that used transfiguration of that word greek word transfiguration metamorphosis and look how easy it is and this is why i stand by that you know that we're either 100% dead in adam or 100% alive in christ jesus but should we find ourselves in the old man in the life of sin in the slavery of sin should we find ourselves in the death of adam all we have to do is what? Whenever we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away and we can contemplate him. We turn toward him. He turns towards us. When we meditate, when we make attention, when we say yes to the grace that he's doing, he releases infused prayer for us and we experience transformation. How much transformation? The Lord's glory. We are being transformed in his image with ever increasing glory. Tell me where the limit on that is. The Lord's glory are, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is the transfiguration mystery. This is what's happening with Jesus in the desert. This is what's happening with us as a church as we are being invited to remember the Lord saying, Do you remember my bride? Do you remember when I lured you into the desert? Do you remember when I walked with you in the desert? Do you remember when I opened for you the sacred mysteries? Do you remember, you remember when I brought Peter, James, and John up Mount Transfiguration? Do you remember when I brought you into the realm to show you the Father's face by the power of the Holy Spirit? All right. So then Elijah appeared along with him, Moses, and they were conversing. Then Peter said uh, to, to Jesus uh, in reply, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. So you want to build three tents? I think that that's interesting because the tabernacle had three parts to the tabernacle, the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. So if you want to do something with that there, you can. 
Um, he hardly knew what to say. They were terrified. They were terrified on Mount Tabor, just like Israel was terrified at the, at the base of Sinai when they received the Torah. And they said, Lord, take it away. We don't want to hear, his, we don't want to hear your voice. We don't want to see your fire because they were so scared. And so, but we don't want to make that same mistake. We've been learning. We've been, we've been watching the arc of time. We've been watching the story. And so we don't want to make that mistake. The Lord wants to bring us into the higher places, into the higher realms. Don't turn away. Don't, um, so, they, so they were terrified. Then a cloud came and cast a shadow over them. Um, and from the cloud came a voice. And this is in the voice of the Lord in Hebrew is also thunder. And so there came, there came a thunder, the thunder of his voice. This is my beloved son, listen to him. So here's that beloved son again. This is the same story, brothers and sisters. Deeper and deeper levels of the same story. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. We get Jesus, we get all of this. We get Jesus, we get all of this. This is not a fragmented story with a million different pieces. This is one story that's given to us instantaneously when we come face to face with Christ Jesus. And this is Paul on his road to Damascus experience. This is Peter on his, on his transfiguration, on his Mount Tabor experience. This is the epinosis that Peter and Paul are continually telling us about and inviting us to. This is what Christ is calling us to in these 40 days of Lent. Come face, walk with me before you always. See my face. Let the fire be an ashtami. Let it be a perpetual fire that comes from perpetually beholding me who perpetually behold you. And let us be consumed and fired together and ascend the staircase of the Lord, the heavenly ladder of God. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them, do not relate what you had seen to anyone. So this is the secret. Remember we talk about Torah when you first study it is water. But as you study the water of Torah, the wisdom of Torah, you get to learn the secret of the Torah. But then, and then that's when the water becomes wine. But as you as you begin to drink the wine of the secret of Torah, then you get taken into the secret of the secrets, which is where the oil, where the water becomes oil. And oil is the word for the Mashiach or for the Christ, for the anointed one. So come all the way to Jesus. So um, suddenly looking around, there's no one any longer, but Jesus alone with them. So in Jesus, we get it all. It's all in there, every spiritual blessings and everything else as well. As they were coming down the mountain, they charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except, uh, except when the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, wondering all the time, what does it mean to rise from the dead? And so, uh, what, a, what a great question, but I'd like, to, I'd like to take a level of that meaning. And what does it mean in this prayer and fasting of Lent? Remember, we don't pray and fast by willpower. It's a will that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it's about saying yes to the grace of fasting. But a yes to the grace of fasting is it's us putting our hand in the hand of the Lord and he's taking us up the mountain. He's taking us to higher realms and he wants to show us more wonderful things. He wants us to dream bigger. He wants us to live live, live larger. He's got that exceedingly great reward multiplying. He wants to multiply us. Um, so let yourselves be wrecked, wrecked by Jesus this, this Lord's Day, this Sunday. Happy Purim to our, to our brothers and sisters in Israel and who celebrate with Israel around the world. We celebrate with you. Um, yeah, the, the joy of the Messiah is here with us. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for joining me for Inscription, where we explore identity, intimacy, and mission. The more near do we, that we come to him uh, by agreeing with who he says we are, that's our identity, the more he sends us out.
And as he sent us out, he, the, deep, the, the secret to, to fruitfulness and mission is intimacy. The deeper we go in intimacy, the more fruitful will be a mission. Just like husband and wife, is there, it's, it's, their, it's their intimate love for one another that, that bears fruit in, 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 in raising children. Okay, so, uh, and also just a reminder that every Friday we'll be here with inscription to help you go deeper on Sunday, and every Sunday we'll be here with fire on the altar so that we can just enjoy the Lord's presence and rest with Him um, on, the, on, the, on the spiritual Sabbath, on the day of the Lord, on the Sunday, the first day, the day that the Lord said, let there be light. Bye-bye.